there's a quote from the Mennonite, I think, theologian David Augsburger. And he said, the experience of being listened to is so close to the experience of being loved that most people can't tell the difference. Mm, I loved that quote. I saw it on your website, and I think it does kind of sum up this whole experience. Mm. And it's such a gift to not just take the technology of video and the act of storytelling, but to bring in this sacred listening piece of it and to be able to use that spiritual direction skill set and to see the work of the holy in everybody's lives and to give them the gift of love. That's truly amazing. Welcome to Everything is Spiritual, a podcast from Soul Care Urban Retreat Center. We're talking with local folks, faith leaders, creatives, thinkers, and community advocates, getting personal about their faith and spirituality and how it shows up in their daily life and work. I'm Kelly Skinner, your host, and I'm sharing these heart-centered conversations to invite you to become more aware that everything is spiritual and to deeply connect with what is most true and alive in your own everyday life. Hello, friends. I'm here today with Dan Frechet who is a spiritual director and the creator and chief story gatherer of Legacy Weavers Video. This is not just a business. Rather, it's a mission to deeply listen to individuals, help guide them towards a rich and meaningful telling of their story, and create a beautiful video as a legacy gift for family and friends. I got to meet Dan and first connected with him just as he was wrapping up his years as the director of the Kiera Center in Springfield. He recently joined Holy Family Inclusive Catholic Community to better manifest his vision of a balanced church that truly welcomes all of God's people. And so I'm really excited to welcome Dan. Hello. Thank you so much. It's good to be with you and your listeners. Yeah, thank you. So tell me more about this Legacy Weavers video project. What What is that all about? And how did you land with that? And yeah. So about a year ago, um, I was brought in the good sisters, the hospital sisters of St. Francis had to make the hard decision of Closing the Kiara Center, that beautiful Franciscan place of spirituality where I was blessed to serve as program director. So in the months before I was leaving, an idea rushed from the rear of the mind, like in one of those old movies where somebody's trying to get somebody's attention up front somewhere. And that idea was to create legacy videos with people. I had an experience when I was supervisor of the St. John's Breadline, a soup kitchen in Springfield, where one of our guests was in the most incorrigible drunk person I'd ever met. She was rough and rugged, but there was a charm. And we were trying to be a community center. Long story short, we noticed one day, a couple of days, she was gone. And somebody said, ah, she's in rehab for her alcoholism. This seemed really, oh my gosh, finally. And so somehow I ended up connecting with her. Somehow when we talked, it seemed like a good idea to create a video 
of her talking because she was lucid. She was clear. There was something very different about her whole being as she was in rehab. And this video would be for her daughter who had lost touch with her and who probably hadn't seen her mom in such clarity and just resilient. It was beautiful. And so the, when the daughter contacted me eight years later saying, that video really meant a lot to me to see my mom like that. That's my mom that I remember. Mm. So that's kind of what gave birth to this idea of like, what if I just did this with people? As a spiritual director, it really makes sense to celebrate and enter into one's story. And so this seemed like a natural way to go full circle. I, I went to undergrad as a business major. <laughs> back in the day. And then I went off in a nonprofit and ministry, but back in business. Hmm. Oh, wow. That's really neat how you received that calling just so clearly. When you do these videos for folks, what, what all goes into putting together one of the video packages, video storytelling? Well, Sometimes it's like the family member of the person that I'll work with, or it's the person him or herself. And the key questions are, what is it you want to say? And who do you want to say it to? Those two things determine a lot of where we go. Um, my first guest, we did a traditional chronological look at the life. Let's mm. just look back at the life. And we, I meet with the person. We kind of talk. I get a sense of the story. I have a new talk I do out in the community called The Power of Story. Um, it's almost a little bit based on Joseph Campbell's, um, you know, The Power of Myth and The Hero's Journey. Mm -hmm. My whole premise is that everybody has a story. Everybody is a story. Everybody's a walking text that's mm -hmm. still being written by the hand of divine love. I know that sounds lofty, but it's real. Divine love, a.k.a. God, source, whatever, is drafting a beautiful composition um, in us that's being read by the world and that can only be told in, in our own manifestation. So I'm in search of that. I want to find out what animates the person. Okay, I'm going to use an image of like a pie. I can tell you what an apple pie is. I can show you pictures. I can give you a recipe. But until you smell the pie, the aroma baking, and until you taste the pie, that's when you know what a pie is. And so I want to do my very best to get the flavor of somebody's story so that the person watching is like, yes, that is my beloved. Mm. That's, and, the, that's the hope. And you can, I like that analogy that you just used because, you know, grandma's pie is going to taste a whole lot different than your neighbor's pie. And there's a sweetness there. There's a connection with that whole experience that mm -hmm. even if your grandma is not with you anymore, when you bake her recipe, you instantly connect. So yes. I, I really like mm -hmm. that analogy. So how do you help coax that story out of people? Well, you know, it's funny when I was exploring the business, I was part of something called Co-Starters, which is part of Innovate Springfield. It's a great uh, partnership between the University of Illinois Springfield and the business, the Chamber of Commerce. And so in this cohort, we're honing our business concepts. And one of the instructions was go talk to people. You better mm -hmm. just be talking to people about your business to see if this is going to flow. So one lady I met at a church I used to go to, I started talking to her and she says, oh, my story is not 
or I don't really have much of a story. And then for the next 30 minutes, she went on to betray that statement with how <laughs> wonderful her life was. So again, it's just really talking to people, you know, as spiritual directors, when we're with people, we are in the immediacy of this moment and we listen for themes and feel inspirations and certain things rise up. And those are the things I, I always have a little note piece of paper and I circle those words or phrases and I'll say, you just told me that. And I reflect back something that was said and the person there's this resonance, kind of like the way that the bow hits the string and ah, oh, there's then the music comes. But the person has to be able to speak it. And most people like to tell their story. Who doesn't want to tell their story and have it listened to? Mm-hmm. That's sweet. Mm. So, in fa- oh, go ahead. In fact, if I could, you know, on my little brochure that I created, it's more of the, it's this establishing piece. It's like this little storybook. It opens up like a curtain. And there's a quote from the Mennonite, I think, theologian David Augsburger. And he said, the experience of being listened to is so close to the experience of being loved that most people can't tell the difference. Mm, I loved that quote. I saw it on your website, and I think it does kind of sum up this whole experience. And it's such a gift to not just take the technology of video and the act of storytelling, but to bring in this sacred listening piece of it and to be able to use that spiritual direction skill set and to see the work of the holy in everybody's lives and to give them the gift of love. That's truly amazing. I use words like celebrating and cherishing a lot because what I'm hoping for is like what I experienced when my wife Sherry is on stage. She was in Mamma Mia a couple of summers ago at the Legacy Theater in Springfield. And she was shining because she's really good at what she does. And there was such an exuberance and electricity. And when I was watching from the audience and I felt such joy as I sensed how other people were receiving her, I said, that's what I want to do with these videos. So when people watch the video, they have this emotional response of, that's my dad. That's my mother. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I mean, that's, a, that's kind of a Fred Rogers thing, isn't it, Mr. Mm-hmm. Rogers? That's, he's my hero, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a pretty good hero. So let's turn the spotlight on you for a second. I'd like to get a sense of your story around faith and spirituality. What kind of belief system or faith system did you experience growing up and how has it evolved for you over the years? Okay. So this will take a couple of days. (laughs) No. Okay. So I grew up Roman Catholic. And guess what? I actually had a good experience in church. Although we got dragged to church, my dad always made us the first people there. He said we were going to get a prize. If we showed up. And we, were the first. And we never got the prize, by the way. But no, um, <laughs> no. Did you have a set pew that you were always? Oh in? yes, the second on the right, <laughs> and the same people in front, and the same people in back. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in a little bitty church in Moni, Illinois, Saint Boniface in the Joliet Diocese, south of Chicago, 40, 50 miles. Okay. So, yeah, I grow up and I'm having a good experience. It's a small Catholic church. We know each other. We're kind of a tight little community. And I feel very welcomed. Um, I joined my mom. My mom was a Sunday school teacher. I became one and I started doing it. And 
we had a very ecumenical little town of Moni mm-hmm. where the four churches found ways to get together to do the crop walk, you know, the hunger walks oh, mm-hmm. to help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as Catholics, we don't use the words born again, except, you know, when we're baptized. All right. So mm-hmm. when I'm in college, I have this crisis of faith where all my friends are oh, going away to school. I have this existential moment at this party in this basement. I'm drinking a beer. It's not wild or anything, but I'm like, is this all there is? There's got to be more than this because I'm having this very inane conversation with some guy or something. And I I leave. I say, I got to (laughs) go. And so I go see my parish priest. We have confession, reconciliation in his car. You know, he's got this Trans Am. He was a cool priest, you know. (laughs) Anyhow, I remember waking up the next morning, my freshman year of college, just saying, Life is going to be different. I feel different. This is something new. It was just like this infusion of sacred adrenaline, you know, and I really start, my faith is, is, power, is really potent. To, and my role model is this Franciscan priest who really kind of becomes my first spiritual director. Mm-hmm. And I actually thought about becoming a priest back then. But since then, I did, you know, I got married. and But um, faith has always been important. And I don't have any illusions that the church is an all good or an all bad thing. I really dislike that dualistic thinking. I see the church as the macro for what each of us is in the micro. Mm-hmm. To love a person is to love a whole group of people. Or to dislike a person or self is to dislike mm-hmm. an institution, the police, mm-hmm. the government, the church. And I don't believe in that. So I have a very integrative faith. I, don't, I think there's a lot of other things I could say, but... I've stayed at the table more or less since those days, but it's a lot wider embrace of what's going on, a a lot wider. Mm -hmm. Embrace meaning, what have have you embraced that is different? You know, one of my heroes is Francis of Assisi. I met him early on in those years Mm -hmm. after that kind of that awakening because my mom worked at a Franciscan hospital up in Crown Point, Indiana. And so Francis embraced all of creation as this first testament. Before human scriptures were written or spoken, there was creation. And then beyond that, again, my ecumenical days really um, quickly turned into interfaith awareness. I started to see Jewish brothers and sisters that I just had this interest. And today I serve as president of the Greater Springfield Interfaith Association because I really see us all moving towards a oneness. It's just mm-hmm. so obvious to me. People of goodwill, I use that phrase just to encompass anybody, even quote non-believers mm-hmm. could be the most spiritually attuned people because they sense and they see. Being a seer is not some far off thing. To see things as they are is a very sacred, ordinary mystic quality. Mm-hmm. So I see a lot of people and I'm amazed by the believers, the unbelievers, the holy, the it's the sacred and profane is a construct I don't use anymore. Right. Yeah. Where isn't God? Right. So. Right. <laughs> I was reminded when you were talking about the interfaith connections, I just got finished reading Holy Envy. And at the beginning of the book, uh, Barbara Brown Taylor talks about mm. this analogy of the living water, but we all have different wells and all have different ways to access that. And our well is unique to our experience or our location, but the living water is the same no matter how you access it. 
I had this vision. It sounds really mystical when I say that, but I'm a very metaphorical. I see things, images. That's what I do, especially in spiritual direction. I had this image of a big round table covered with a big cloth circled with all these like candlesticks around the edge with lit candles. And then I had this image of a hand coming down from the center, grabbing a hold of the cloth from the center and pulled it, drawing it up, drawing it up. And as the hand drew it up, the candlesticks started moving closer. You know, you can imagine that response as the cloth is pulled up. That's what's happening to us. We are all drawn towards the center, towards this ineffable light, whatever we want to image we want to use. And we look to our left and to our right and we start seeing more lights and like, are you heading there too? Mm-hmm. Or we might say, I didn't expect to see you moving in this direction next to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what's going on. Mm-hmm. So how have you reconciled your position as a Catholic, your Catholic belief systems with some of this movement that's happening in the world and who have been mentors or have been people who have been inspiring you to be able to kind of define your Catholicism in this bigger way? That is a thick, wonderful question. I'm going to do my best. (laughs) You know, we start to see when you work closely with any person, if you get married, you know, it's a little institution, whatever institution you're part of, whether it's a small business, a church, uh, a political party, you're going to see the underworkings that are the lesser parts. You're going to see the shadow sides, but you're going to also see the goodness. So again, to love a person is to love a group of people. So I don't, get really angry about the church anymore because it's just a bunch of us. It's us Mm -hmm. in communion trying to work something out. It's really messy business. Mm -hmm. So I've approached it with compassion. But nonetheless, a couple of years ago, um, really since I went to graduate school at the Aquinas Institute of Theology in St. Louis, wonderful place where there were lay people with religious women and uh, priestly candidates and Protestant ministers. We were all in the same school. And I just started to really sense the disparities. I mean, these women that I was sitting next to, their ability to preach, to speak of their ideals, their sense, everything about them was so powerful to me that I really changed my view about women in the church. I've told people, I can't unhear those conversations. I can't unsee that preaching moment And so over the years, I started to, you know, I was fully involved in the church. I was Mr. Catholic guy. You know, I was teaching at a church, uh, director of Christian formation for 10 years. I had done so much, but I was holding things in tension that were becoming just unwieldy. I just, I couldn't keep holding it. I'm going to switch a lot of metaphors on you, so bear Mm -hmm. with me, but... It's as if like a choir. All you're hearing are the tenors and the basses. Mm-hmm. Imagine how absurd that would be if you're listening to Beethoven's Ninth Symphony and the big Ode to Joy comes and you just hear the men singing. Mm-hmm. Now, as I, I love to sing and I love the bass you know, parts, but that would be off kilter. And that's what seems to be happening in the church. So I got to a point where I was just dealing with this disparity and I, I just I stepped away. I gave myself permission to step away on Pentecost of 2019 and saying, I need to separate myself 
from my beloved little choir and everything else to gain clarity and perspective on who I am with these people and with this God and myself. So I'm really glad I did that because then I went off into the woods of the Lincoln Memorial Garden every Sunday morning and just sat with this, molded over, prayed, talked, listened, because I felt the, the, the ethos of the church was frustrating to me in that we were kind of just not, t- it was not an intentional thing for a lot of people. You just go and you do it. Mm-hmm. But why in the heck are you there? Who mm-hmm. is this God? Why have we been summoned? And what are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Francis says, I've done what was mine to do. Now you, may Christ, show you what is yours to do. And that's collectively as well as individually. So Again, I'm holding things in tension. I'm still very much at the table, but in a different way. Right. Because I think the spirit is moving powerfully for us to listen. Things are changing. Yeah. That was a moment for you about three years ago, was it, that that you kind of stepped away into a period almost of discernment and had some church experiences outside of the walls of the church and communion with God in your own way. So where did you land after that three-year period? I was definitely off and away. It was hard because I'm a number two on the Enneagram. That means I'm very connected and I'm a people pleaser at worst. And I, so I had to learn to kind of live within the tension of, of stepping away from something and it can almost come across as rejecting it. But mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I have to be away, especially mm-hmm. with all the kids I taught and stuff like that. You know, I have real connections. And the thing is communion really means something to be human is to be constitutively joined with others. Mm-hmm. It flows out of what I understand as Trinity. I heard a Bishop John Zazulis, an Orthodox Greek priest say the Trinity is a communion of persons. And we are too. So none of us could be lone rangers. So even when I was off in the woods, which I still do, by the way, because I worship on Saturday nights, even though we do that, it's it's only part of it. I can be in communion with creation, but I've got to be. So I heard about the ordination of a friend, Mary Keldermans, who's being installed as bishop of this women's Roman Catholic women's priest, USA or reform movement in the church. I just kept feeling drawn. And again, two things are happening here. You know, this is a really wonderful movement where women are able to be priests. The people that go to those communities, it's a very intentional move. They want to be there because they're called to something next. This blessed next in the church, I think, is what they're visioning, especially the women who are doing the preaching and presiding. I believe in my heart of hearts that that's what's going to happen for the big church. Some just don't want to wait for it. In fact, nothing's ever changed until people decided they weren't going to wait for something. Mm-hmm. You know, black people in our country are tired of being told, just wait a little longer. That's, okay, I'm not going to use any profanity, but, you know, they knew that. Mm-hmm. You don't wait for it. You push for it. You insist upon it for the sake of the human uh, you know, person, the dignity and respect. So my wife and I are members of Holy Family, inclusive Catholic community. Every one of those five words is amazing. Holy, family, inclusive, Catholic community. We're small, but we're doing something pretty cool. 
And I'm feeling my wife wanted to go back with me. She stepped away a year before me. And she's like, I'd like to join them. Hmm. That really says something to me. You know, mm-hmm. she was born Catholic, took off for the Jesus movement of the 70s, <laughs> reemerged. Uh, she was part of a fundamentalist little church. They had their own blessings, but there was a lot of problems. She uh, joined the Catholic Church, re- rejoined, I should say. She rebounded back into the church with me. And I'm grateful for that. We have a pretty good simpatico spiritual partnership, she and I. So we're back there. Wow. So what is special? You said each of those five words have true intentional meanings other than the external novelty that might be odd to people both within the Catholic Church and outside of the Catholic Church of having women priests. But what is special to you about this community? Okay. I think anybody who has a sense of seeing of the with the heart is going to have a sense of the gross imbalance, whether it's government or church, especially church, um, especially Roman Catholic church, um, where women are not fully allowed to operate from their gifts. To have a church that denies a vocation of holy orders, I just got to a point that I don't believe that. In fact, I feel very strongly about the principle of dissent. I could talk more about that later. But to hold dissent is to say, my conscience can no longer embrace that which we're being asked to do. I can't do it. I prayerfully understand and I abide with you, but I can can no longer. So my dissent was the power of exclusion. Exclusion is a poison to the body. And I'm using the body of Christ's image because last Sunday was Corinthians, great reading Paul's treatise on the body. It's a toxin. The power of exclusion, whether you're denying somebody at the table. So all these things that I'm against. Richard Rohr says the best criticism of the bad is the practice of the better. Mm. I'm always in search of what does the practice of the better look like? And at Holy Family Inclusive Catholic Community, I get to live it. There's a woman presiding and preaching. I was given the opportunity to preach last Sunday. So they really want the male presence too. Mm-hmm. They really want an egalitarian way of being together. People are really empowered to be part. All are welcome. I have a powerful belief that people on the margins are the ones with the answers. Mm-hmm. So let us then go to our people of color, to our lesbian, gay brothers and sisters, transgender people that have been excluded, they're the ones that Jesus always went to. Mm -hmm. And so we get to live that. We get to embody that. And I don't hear the dissonance anymore. I don't leave mass feeling more angry than when I first got there. Mm -hmm. You kind of want to feel like you're being fed. I know that sounds like a cliche, but it's so real. The table is open. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's so many things that you just said that just brought up a ton of things for me. And uh, I was speaking with a friend today, actually a past podcast guest, um, Karen Sims, and she does a lot of stuff with trauma in our community. And she was talking about the root cause of PTSD is when people continue to do things that are against their moral core. Mm. And so I think that there are experiences of people who are unaware that they're experiencing religious trauma because they do know that their faith should be about 
love and community and what you were saying, inviting people and connecting with people on the margins and all of the things that Jesus asks us to do. And then sometimes within the institution, those things aren't reflected. My favorite scripture has become Luke, I think it's chapter seven. It was a paper I read by Dr. Barbara Reed. I think she's a Dominican who's in charge of the Catholic Theological Union right now. She wrote this paper, and I think it was entitled, Do You See Her? Do You See This Woman? It's that potent moment when Jesus, I think he's looking at her, but he's talking to Simon, who invited Jesus to a, a banquet. She's the one who washed his feet. Okay. And, and he says, Simon, do you see this woman? It's a powerful moment of recognition to recognize our relationship with women. One of my favorite words is to reconcile. To reconcile means to see with again. So Jesus is saying, Simon, can you be reconciled to how things were meant to be? Let's get back into right relationship, right order. And you're right, the church is traumatized and collectively disabled Mm-hmm. As a body, we're we're not functioning like we're supposed to. We're limping. We're maybe not even standing. Mm-hmm. How can we win half the body? Like Christoph, uh, the you know, the writer wrote a story using the Chinese proverb: "Women are half the sky." Mm-hmm. So I get, I just have this deep deed to to summon anything I can to participate to support anything I can where that is happening because that's the health of the entire body. And there's so much power waiting to be unleashed in gifts within not just women, but again, people of color. Let's face it, we as Catholic churches are not very diverse when it comes to um, people of color. We just aren't. We're very separated. So I'm hoping that's going to change. But Mm -hmm. that's a bigger movement that's that's brewing on a lot of fronts. So that's another thing. Well, and as a, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think the Catholic church has been tied up through history as a colonizing with colonization. Mm, yes. And so whether it has been, you know, no matter what the people of color are, whether they're Native Americans, whether mm-hmm. they're people from Latin America or Central America, people from the African nations, our own black and brown sisters from America, I think that there's a colonizing influence that we need to kind of tease out and repair. Yeah, that's the need for healing. Um, and when we do that, I think about, I think what Paul said in Ephesians, when the body rises to full stature, you know, we're, we're laid flat in some ways and um, we don't breathe well. That One of my favorite words is conspiracy, but more conspire, uh, mm-hmm. conspiratio, mm-hmm. breathing together. That's John Cardinal Newman. When the laity and the clergy breathe together it, it, within a paper that he wrote. But you could say when white people and black people breathe together, when Republicans and Democrats breathe together. Mm-hmm. And the church constitutively has to be mindful of that. That's got to be our mission. We have to model that. So I want to be part of it now. I don't want to just wait for it. Right. And deal with the sickness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what some of the things you've you've been writing lately about 
some of the actions that Pope Francis is taking within the church to bring people together in an attempt to listen. And so what what is this this effort, this synod, uh, and why should people care about that? Yes, the great synod on synodality. Okay, I know those are church words and Greek words, but tell you what, sometimes it's good to throw in a new word because words can become laden and beyond repair sometimes, you know, like, let's face it, religion. I don't know if we'll ever reclaim that word fully, but anyhow, the church, the bishops get together for these big councils. We always have, and so, but for Catholics, we think councils, oh, that's when the Pope gets the bishops together and we wait for what they tell us that Mm -hmm. they talked about. Mm -hmm. The synod is, I think that translates to just walking the path with, with is a sacred word, with others. Okay, so synodality is withness. What happens when, you know, not we're not democratic, we know that, but what happens when all God's people have a chance to speak with one another, breathe with the bishops, and vision a church? That's exciting stuff for me. So, you know, at the time I was going through everything I was dealing with, I still heard what Pope Francis was doing here. He's really breaking up a system of exclusion. And so God bless him. I mean, I can't imagine the ferocity of opposition he gets from some who are threatened by, Francis, don't slip on this. Don't let power out of your hands, because once you do this, you maybe you'll never get it back. And Francis says, bring it on, man. Mm -hmm. So Francis is like, let us invite people to a synod. Now, the frustrating thing is some of our bishops are like, well, we kind of already talked once about that. (laughs) It would be as if Sherry and I were talking and I said, and Sherry said, Dan, I really want to talk to you about something. And I'd say, well, my beloved, we spoke five years ago. You should know that I do love you. She would be like reaching for the skillet or something. And she would have a right to put it on my head because this is, we're a living, breathing body. So, okay. So the synod is a three-year process where it starts with people talking at the local level. So the cool thing is Francis and his crew realized, we know some of the bishops aren't really open to this. And some are kind of saying, well, you can talk, but only on this three-word mm-hmm. subjects or something. Right. And But the secretariat um, that Francis appointed said, you can get together. You can individually or not, in, but as a group, talk amongst yourselves. Sounds like coffee talk. And then <laughs> pray about this. But this isn't just a... This isn't like Seinfeld's, um, you know, what was that called? Uh, Festivus, where you have the airing of grievances. The airing of grievances. This is more than the airing of grievances. This is a prayerful way of summoning spirit to enter into the spirit's work in us and saying, may we, may you fill us as we speak of a church, speak something new into being. So the challenge is for us to listen well to one another. And so I want to be part of this. Others are doing this too. The Dominican sisters have their own thing. Others religious communities, but I, I'd like to get people together on zoom and have some contemplative dialogue sessions where we really listen to each other. We hold silence at times and we make room for people, even really we're supposed to make room for everybody. So if my conservative friends showed up, they need to sit at the table too. Mm -hmm. Just like we get mad about 
people being denied Eucharist because of their political stance on whatever. We can't do the same to the others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very excited about this. Now, even if this 10-page paper we produce, like everybody is supposed to, each diocese is to produce, if it doesn't get heard, it doesn't matter because it's who we say that we are, and that's where the power is. We, we can live into our aspirations, and that's going to change things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just by the process of speaking mm-hmm. it out loud actually kindles something happening, uh, a process of transformation by speaking those things out loud and sharing them in community. There is a word that we hold dear. We don't hear enough, but parhesia, P-A-R-R-H-E-S-I-A, parhesia. It means speaking courageously while also being vulnerable. Sounds like Brene Brown, right? You know, mm-hmm. transparent, seeking prudence. We're digging deep into our faith and we're trusting in the goodwill of those in the church who do want to hear us. Parhesia is to speak courageously. Say what you got to say, but say it with love. Say it with conviction. That's part of release from trauma is not only do I see you, but I hear you. Mm-hmm. And even if some of our bishops don't want to fully hear us, maybe it's that they don't have the capacity to hear us. I look at my own bishop with compassion. You know, I, I, I think he's trying to do his best, mm-hmm. but I still can't let it be stopping there, I have to say, but you haven't really heard us mm-hmm. for yeah. the sake of all the people who just don't feel their their, their opinion matters. Mm-hmm. That's an ill-conceived notion of church. Right. So the synod is a hopeful process for the people that want to vision what the church mm-hmm. is to be now and in the future. And so how, you know, in my own experience, I've I've met so many people who have, through the course of their life, whether it be 20 years ago or two years ago or two days ago, stepped away from the church. And there's a variety of reasons for that. But how can the people who are not part of that community, but still have some allegiance or, or even identity? I mean, I think... The faith that we grew up with, no matter what faith that is, has some impact on the shaping of who we are. And so how, how do we invite those people who are outside of the sphere of church to give their voices to that listening? I think I'll use the word again, vulnerability. When we speak, we can't be just pronouncing things. Because or else we recreate the same illness that our leaders have at their worst, okay? So we have to be willing to listen. We have to be willing to honor somebody's where, where they are. Mm-hmm. I really hope that we convey a sense of a deep desire to, that your authenticity be revealed and honored and held, valued, that you're part of the conversation. So, yeah, whatever, I, I really hope people who are feeling disenfranchised are first just finding a place of people, a group of people that honor them and build them up. So sometimes we have to find these little pods or these little groups of people in whatever form it is. Really, Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, Jesus is love. You know, if you are gathered in a loving sense, start there. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm just aware too that, Systems change when institutions are healed and reformed. You know, semper reformanda or something is, I think, Latin, something like that for always reforming. 
We have to always be reforming. And so it takes courage to say, I know you've been burned. And, you know, I, I felt it too. But if we're going to change, you know, let's let's come together and listen to each other. Find, find a healing space where you're honored, first of all, because um, we all have our, you know, healing that's got to take place. And then we turn towards each other and then we try to do some good work. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I listened to a podcast that came out of New Ways Ministry, one of the really powerful voices supporting LGBTQ voices in the Catholic Church. They understand church speak. They know how it works. And yet they get together and say, this is how we can take part in this synod. This is how we can share our voices. So I love that there's such a, a current of, you know, authentic. We have a voice. We've been silenced. Now we're going to speak. And we know how to speak because we know the language. So those college professors and church folks with their big language who love diversity are helping others get their voice heard. Mm. That's so hopeful. That's where the spirit's really moving today. Yeah. And so one of the reasons why I created Soul Care was because I was seeing all these wonderful things that were happening in, you know, across the country, across the world. And a lot of times they're happening in big cities or or not around, just not around here in East Central Illinois. And so how mm-hmm. can, how, in your opinion, can the people who are feeling disconnected or feeling, you know, really questioning their faith, really feeling some of that tension, how can we better connect with those people here in East Central Illinois? How can we discover them and invite them and connect with them? You know, it just starts, I think, everybody having honest conversation, whether it's Facebook or face-to-face or whatever, letting people know what you're thinking and making room for others it's so fundamental that prayer of St. Francis, you know, mm. to, to understand rather than be understood. Those are some of the hardest words I think ever uttered in a prayer because let's face it, our egos, you know, rise up and we say things and we do things that aren't honoring. So again, I think it starts with just people banding together in small groups. You, you need to go with somebody that honors you and, fe- and allows you to feel heard and validated. I love that word to be validated for who you are. And and again, maybe it's no mistake, you grew up in a faith tradition. Maybe some people have to leave that and find something new, but living into your own new truth with others, um, I believe in spiritual direction. You know, somebody you can go and journey with who can listen and give feedback and a sense of, you know, gather a sense of what's what insights are coming? What, what's bubbling up in your life? You know, so it's good to have somebody to talk to about the spiritual questions. Some places are not open to that at all. You know, mm-hmm. whether it's a family of origin or one's own faith tradition. But again, it doesn't mean you have to reject your faith. Just um, one of my favorite quotes is Saint Francis de Sales. I'm gonna, it was a paraphrase, but he said, "People of ordinary goodness walk in God's ways." The devout run in them and at length almost fly. The devout meaning just the people that want to dig deep into their spiritual truths. If you want to run and and someday fly, you know, just desire it. Those people are out there. I mean, your show is a perfect manifestation. There are groups out there. And really, I think desire leads to the next. One good thing leads to the next. So mm-hmm. somebody's feeling hurt. And by the way, counseling, you know, those are the people that really dig deep with you. I have friends who are counselors and there's work to be done in our lives. We're all mm-hmm. 
to some degree, I use that word degree, like slightly or a lot traumatized and hurt. Mm-hmm. Healing is going to happen through, you know, the work we do with counseling. Spiritual direction can help just to be a good friend. And I'm going to be inviting people to our church because it I want to, but it's also because it holds me accountable. Is this a place worth inviting people to? Mm-hmm. I want to make it that way. I hope you do too. That's the intentional path. Find people who want to intentionally run and then fly because we're meant to fly mm-hmm. as an image of, you know, spiritual freedom, mm-hmm. freedom. Mm-hmm. And I, I truly believe that the spirit plants that desire, that sense of discontent, that sense of, you know, is there more? Is this all that there is? The spirit plants in us that desire for more or for understanding or for connection. And then it's up to us to take the action to take a step forward, but the spirit will be walking alongside of us. Yes, that's a pledge and a promise that I think God is faithful in that way. Again, however you call God, I'm going to join others in giving listeners permission. Whatever name you need, I've switched to divine love. It just fits for me to say that. But what I want to say to those who are listening, who are feeling like on the fringe, you especially are a gift to the church or just to the world, because to the extent that you've been marginalized or hurt and are willing to speak, you're part of the solution. For example, I really think black women in this culture are the key holders because that's a group that has really suffered greatly and been silenced and when they learn to speak, now I know that's just one of many, or my friend who's transgender and, and transitioning, when she learns to be heard and assert herself in her role in society, it's a key to all of us getting healed, more insight, and becoming more loving. So we need you. We need you to become who you're meant to be. You're the pie in the oven that needs to start baking. <laughs> and people are going to be like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> it smells so, so good. <laughs> just as you know, my, my favorite video I used to use a lot is called just Google validation video. It's this beautiful little video about this little guy in, the, in a parking garage who just validates people instead of just their tickets. Mm-hmm. It's a sweet little love story. But the first three minutes are just hilarious um, with little Hugh Newman. Really <laughs> Google it and, and know that that's for you. You listening need to be validated because you're going to do some amazing things that the rest of us are waiting for. We don't even know it, but we're waiting for you to arrive. Mm. Thank you for that invitation. And uh, I echo that a uh, hundredfold. And your your pie metaphor reminds me so much of one of Rob Bell's podcast about smells and uh, hammers and that smells are so much more inviting and draws you to it. So yeah, let's, let's start baking some good things and attracting more people. So I want to give you an opportunity before we end to uh, share, you know, you, you've talked about spiritual direction. You've talked about church community, the Holy Family Church community, and Legacy Weaver. So how can people connect with you on any of those fronts? Yeah, I've got a little website, Legacy Weaver's video, where I 
I went ahead and did some stories just early on. I had six people who I just said, You're, these are cool people, ordinary, and I wanted to celebrate their stories. I, it's, it's custom. I really wanted to work with people and whatever they want to do. One guy just wanted to tell family stories. Mm-hmm. One other guy said, no, this, I want to tell the story of my life. He was turning 90 and his, his son said, please help him present his story. So LegacyWeaversVideo.com is my website. Hey, Dan Frechet, uh, if you want to be friends on Facebook, I'd love to find kindred spirits who want to run. Those are the people I just enjoy interacting with because pretty soon I'm going to put something out there. I'm trying to be, work collaboratively with those at my church on doing some response for the synod because we've got to practice speaking. Pope Francis, if I can just go back, he said, listen, he's basically, someone said, Pope Francis is asking us to run a half marathon when we're not even in shape and can't run very well. Mm-hmm. But you got to start running at some point because he's trying to get us ready for being a church that is more authentic to the gospel of this guy, Jesus, or whatever faith tradition to live into your tradition. Um, I'm going to be doing for the, really, that's pretty much for Catholics. But then again, I mean, we need to hear other people. If you have an interest in speaking to the church, come on, you know, I'm going to be doing that. Um, I'd love to connect with people, whether, you know, in person at church or I'm looking for um, directees, anybody who wants to journey spiritually. And if they don't want to meet with a guy or a Catholic or whatever, I'm part of a group of Central Illinois directors from Peoria down to Southern Illinois. And we, there's lots of men and women, religious, Catholic, Protestant, non, to connect with. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It's good and to I know people in the Champaign-Urbana area too. So yes. through the this part of the central Illinois. So between For the sure. two of us, we can definitely hook people up. But I think spiritual direction is an amazing gift that you can give yourself to have somebody who is fully committed to listening to you and also to listening to the work of where God and the Spirit are showing up in your life. So yes. um, can highly, highly recommend that for everyone. So we always end by doing some rapid fire questions just to get a little bit of kind of fun things about each of our guests. Mm-hmm. So are you ready for sure. our rapid fire questions? So what's something that people get wrong about you? It might be by Catholic friends that I've known for a long time, they might think that I've rejected the church. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I love the church more so than ever. And sometimes when some somebody's doing something, you got to call it out. Love goes there. My wife is one who will help confront me on things or good friends. And, and they're doing me a great service. So and dissent isn't a form of rejection, but a form of deeper love. Mm-hmm. Where do you see the divine most alive for you in this season? There's just this confluence of voices from the secular. Again, I don't use, but just churches, religions. You're seeing a convergence of people that are speaking about this oneness, about a growing awareness of a collective consciousness. And um, we're, we're, there, it's that image of the tablecloth again. You know, there's a lot of people that are moving towards a center, moving towards a common understanding of the divine. And this isn't to dismiss the traditions. We need that. But we're moving together. And I'm 
I'm seeing it. And I'm, I, despite everything else that's going on in the world, this is a narrative that's growing. Mm-hmm. What's one thing in your life that might seem ordinary, but is sacred for you? I know this will sound funny. This will be a little bit like Richard Rohr, but you know, we encountered the divine in so many ways. When my little dog, my Chihuahua Paco, is licking my chin, <laughs> it's as if creation is is responding in love to me, and I get a chance to affirm creation in the form of that little feisty Chihuahua. <laughs> to encounter just the ordinary, uh, the, the the divine in the ordinary, whether it's again a simple conversation, a chocolate chip cookie that was just baked last night, or you know just we just need to pay attention because it's all around us and the present moment is a gift. And if we can savor even the hard times and say, this is my life and I'm living my life. I'm, I'm showing up in the ordinary toasting of my bagels. I know that sounds odd or doing dishes, mm-hmm. you know, it's very teak, not Han kind of ish, mm-hmm. you know, the great guy who just died, you know, our beloved teacher. And so paying attention and just celebrating the, the, the ordinary stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How are we connecting with aliveness? Yeah. Yes. What are you deeply grateful for right now? My wife, Sherry, is dealing with some really long-standing physical disabilities and struggles that we don't, we hope are getting better. And I'm just grateful just to watch her grow in trust when it's not easy to, it's nice when everything's swimming along, but you know, when it's not, and I see her embracing the now and the challenges and saying, we're doing this together, aren't we? And I say, yes. And I'm really grateful for that because she's making me a better human being. Mm-hmm. What's a book you would recommend to the audience? I thought about that and Not all of us get our content through books. And so I'm going to actually suggest something. It's a website and it's the Human Energy Project. It's a group of people that are getting together and taking more of what Tehar de Chardin and others have said about what's called the Noosphere. Mm -hmm. The Noosphere is this collective mind that is, in fact, developing. We've got the biosphere and the stratosphere, you know, what's on Earth, what's in sky. But the Noosphere is what Tehard said is the growing human brain of our connectedness. If you just Google that, and you can go to their website, but if you go to YouTube and just do the Human Energy YouTube page, you're going to get access to 25 short videos, five to seven minutes. And every one of these is just laying out from the earliest times of the universe story to the present moment of how the human consciousness is in fact being woven together to form this vast mind. This just pushes all my happy buttons because it is, it's thick stuff sometimes, but it's also like, yes, this is who we're becoming. And this is how the kingdom of God or what the kingdom of God looks like to a certain you know level. So the human energy project, whether it's the website or go to the videos on the YouTube page, mm-hmm. human energy project is cool stuff. Mm-hmm. I would love to see that be part of like, adult faith formation gatherings or something. For sure. Yeah. I'm presenting it to my spiritual directors group next month. So I want to make sure that they're paying attention. Brian Swim is one of the, oh, he's got a really cool name, evolutionary cosmologist or something. And he's been doing stuff for years. And this is the culmination of so much of what he's been about 
folks, we're coming together and it's going to help. And we're going to be transformed by the gift of one another. Wow. Well, I'll definitely link that, the, the YouTube page and the website in the show notes so people can access that. It sounds spectacular. You mentioned Richard Rohr a couple times through the course of our conversation, and I find it really compelling that he does these daily meditations and themes, things. Each year, there's a theme, and the theme for 2022 is about relationships mm-hmm. and that connectedness in in lots of different ways. So each week, there's a kind of a granular theme underneath that, but I think it all does tie in together, and there is that how are we tapping into the collective nature of everything? Because what's truest about us is communion. Mm-hmm. And what's most false is fragmentation. Mm-hmm. So whenever I see fragmentation, I know that we're heading in the opposite direction of who we're meant to be. So anything mm-hmm. that's oriented towards communion, that's a very broad statement. And again, it goes back to an earlier question of how can people get, you know, those who feel like they're not connected the power of connections everywhere. It's kind of like uh, the wind. Just put up your sail and you're going to catch it. Mm. It's going to take you and you're going to be converging with some pretty cool people who are just designed the very same thing at the same time. I think that sums up kind of everything that's going on with us here today. Oh, that's a great way to end this conversation. So thank you so much for spending time with us today and sharing your thoughts and your perspectives. And you gave us a lot to think about and chew on and and learn some of my favorite things actually uh so thank you you're so welcome you're a great example of again women speaking showing what's going to happen when we listen to all the voices so thank you for your ministry of uh this online uh, connection and your cool soul care activities <laughs> it's just it's part of where we're all headed so thank yep. you for that and to your listeners you know bless you all We're going to end up where we need to end up, okay? Hmm. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Everything is Spiritual and taking time to nourish your soul. Tune in each week for a little community and a lot of conversation. Or subscribe in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss our next episode. For more resources around spiritual exploration, restoration, and transformation, Be sure to sign up on our mailing list at experiencesoulcare.com. Visit our website for information on retreats, workshops, and services from our partners. Or better yet, come visit our welcoming space in Urbana to say hi and get a steaming cup of tea. Soul Care Urban Retreat Center is a warm, welcoming, and accessible place for you to refresh, renew, and restore your mind, body, heart, and soul. We set a great big table and everyone is welcome. Until next week, be well.